Recording. Hello, and welcome to Medium Salt, the podcast that talks about movies that should have died with Blockbuster. I'm one of your hosts, Kate, and I'm joined by my good friend, Matt. This week is a light salt week, a segment where we restrict ourselves to a time limit to save you from our tangents. This week, we're discussing film adaptations, the good, the bad, the absurd. But first, Matt! What's something that made you grumpy this week? Oh, man. Something that made me grumpy this week? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Going in for the kill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it was this week, but I've been grumpy ever since I heard about it. Um, but uh, I found out that uh, the, the the animated show Owl House is ending with season three. Uh, Disney is elected to not continue it, and they're doing an abbreviated third season instead of like a full third season. And I really, really like that show. I cannot stop gushing about it. Mm, I have uh, heard the gushing. It's 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 an amazing show. It's super cute and adorable and fantastic. Why are they canceling it? A lot of reasons. I think the, the so the stated main reason is that it really just doesn't fit with the Disney branding, mm. and it doesn't fit with like the the demographic that the Disney Channel tends to go for, which is kind of hard to argue with because it's true. It's it is a show that skews a little older. It skews more tween age, and mm. like the the time slot, like Disney Channel really likes that six to eleven age range, and this mm-hmm. definitely skews more like. Yeah, but don't they have like Disney XD or whatever? Yeah, tween aiming stuff. Yeah, well, the other they do, and I think maybe they're trying to skew more younger these days because they just see a easier. There's probably a lot of reasons. (laughs) Teenagers are scary. (laughs) Yeah, with streaming and all that stuff, like older kids have a lot of other options that I don't think Disney can compete with as well. Mm. But when it comes to young children's programming, like nobody can really touch Disney. The, right. You know, maybe back in the 90s, you know, you had Nickelodeon and, and Cartoon Network come really close. Mm-hmm. But I think Cartoon Network found their audience in an older demographic, at least with mm-hmm. their like really popular stuff. And of course, Nickelodeon is a shadow of what it used to be. I didn't even um, realize Nickelodeon was still a thing. Oh, yeah. It's still around. They're still making shows, kind of. <laughs> you know, they, they just aren't making the shows they used to. Right. They're not they don't Legends have of the a f- hidden temple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't have a like really it's Rugrats. Right. They don't have that flagship show that really mm-hmm. builds that their brand and, and oh, I love dominates Rugrats. the market. Hey, Arnold, that show yeah. was amazing and way ahead of its time. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It seems like <laughs> oh, Disney has like a three season thing, I guess, because like one of the <laughs> one of another show that I loved on on Disney was the new, the, the reboot of DuckTales. Mm, that only was, lasted three seasons? That was three seasons. And there were a good three seasons. Uh, that show, is, is, that's how you do a reboot. <laughs> it's, it's full, of, like, it's clear that the creators loved the source material. They throw in a lot of, like, homages to mm-hmm. the original DuckTales. But it's still very much its own thing because they've developed it more with a lot more modern perspective. And like, you know, in the old DuckTales, the three triplets were kind of all the same character. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the reboot, they each have their own personality. Oh, that's really good. And their personalities play off each other really well. Um, what they've done with Webby is fantastic. Like, basically, she's no longer just the girl. She's like, she has her own whole thing. Um, along with all the other characters and Donald Duck. I have a whole spiel about Donald Duck, (laughs) but let me boil it down to like Donald Duck fucks. Wow. All right. He's the man. We stand Donald Duck. Yeah. He's, he's the, the bravest man on two worlds. So. Oh, that's really exciting. I know. I've heard you allude a lot to your DuckTales fanboyishness and I'm really (laughs) excited to hear more about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Owl House is amazing, and everyone should watch that. They've got – it does LGBT stuff, which I think is was one of the reasons that Disney probably wasn't a hugest fan of it, because like, there are a lot of characters who are canonically LGBT. 
Oh, God uh, forbid. The main character is canonically and explicitly bisexual. Yes. Um, and that uh, probably made people uncomfortable. I don't know. I think, I think, I thought it was a really cool step forward. I thought it showed how, like, we as a, our culture is evolving, you know, to have mainstream mm-hmm. show have an LGBT character and have it not be like a dumpster fire. Yeah. Is really cool. Did they do the thing where they make it a really big deal or is it just kind of, yeah, whatever? No, it's just there. Yeah. They don't yeah. make it a big deal. Where it's like, this is the reason we have this show. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even come out and say, like, they don't even come out and say that she's like, that she, that she's bisexual. They just, like, she asks out a girl. That's it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> cool. And it goes. That's awesome. Now I really need to watch it. Not that I already didn't want to watch it because you said you loved it so much. Oh, it's great. And the animation is fantastic. They do a lot oh. of really cool stuff where, like in the first season where you could tell the budget was a little lower. Mm-hmm. They do some tricks to make, like, really cool dynamic action sequences by, like, cutting the frame rate and, like, animating on threes instead of twos or I actually don't know what they animated on because I don't have an eye for that. But, I also uh, have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole thing. So an animation, like, so animating on ones would be like every frame is is in, is an individual. Oh, pose, okay. Right. So every single frame, animating on twos would be like every other frame. Okay. Um, and that's done a lot of times with like to 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 cut budget. So instead of like so that way you're not drawing twenty four pictures a second. It's only twelve. Or instead of 30, it's 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not fully read up on the conventions of animation because I was a live action guy my whole career. Um, mm-hmm. But I did work at a studio that did a lot of animation. So I got to talk to a lot of animation, animators. Um, so, and then there's like animating on threes. And I think they did some threes and maybe even some fours to try and like help with the budget, but still have these really dynamic action moments. Cool. And I think it really worked. I think more people should do stuff like that. Like I'd have, I'd rather have fewer frames that look amazing mm-hmm. than, you know, you animate every other frame and it still looks like a cheesy cartoon that doesn't. Yeah. One, you of, know. <laughs> one of the things that creeps me out are the weird 3D cartoons that people are just churning out like nothing because I guess they have 3D models and they can just, you know. So it's like, look, it's a cartoon, but it's just a bunch of weird. 3D shapes that we're supposed to believe are a horse. And I don't know. It just looks really creepy. Like you'll see (laughs) some of the cheap ones. I don't I can't even think of an example because I avoid them like the plague. So, well, this, I mean, the easy targets for that are like the, the cocoa melons and the the, Mm -hmm. the, the programming for young children that you might find on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Usually that stuff is like farmed out to like, you know, an Asian sweatshop 3D animators. Like you end up with like a lot of weird stuff that like, like Mm -hmm. cultural mismatch sometimes that like, like maybe there's something in in that studio, like at that home country, like they don't celebrate a holiday the way we do here. Oh yeah. And so they animate the 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 storyboards like we send them, but it comes back and it just it feels really off. Mm-hmm. And because there's like a cultural mismatch and the budget's so cheap that no one wants to send back for a redo. So it's like, <laughs> all right, you're celebrating the 13th of whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm actually falling more and more in love with animation as I get older. Like I just have a deeper appreciation for the work that goes into it and the art that it is like the choices mm-hmm. that people make and the different styles, especially as I'm trying to get better at drawing myself. I'm even more like, Oh my goodness, what an interesting choice, right? Because every drawing is a choice of what you, because you can't, unless you're trying to draw photorealistically, which animation is generally not trying to do. You're trying to decide what is important about the character, right? Every line matters. And so, mm-hmm. and, and your own individual style carries a lot of emotion and meaning to, um, the piece itself. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what's, it's funny to say, I, I really like animation too. I think it's a more, it's a very dynamic art form. Mm-hmm. I think it allows people to do really cool stuff. Um, it's really expensive to do, mm-hmm. which is kind of part of the problem with like, that's why you don't get a lot of really amazing animated stuff anymore. Um, turns out live action stuff is just cheaper. It's cheaper to pay underpay people, uh, to, to be on camera than it is to underpay people to draw stuff, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe it's a supply and demand thing. Like there's just too many people who want to be on camera and not enough people who want to draw. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Well, no. So yeah, the animate animators right now are actually fighting really hard for better working conditions and better pay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I know this is because I'm I've been following Dana Terrace, who is the maker of Owl House, to to bring it back to Owl House. Uh, I follow her on Twitter, and uh, she mentions a lot of, of that. Right now, they're actually they're fighting for more pay and stuff. The way that the Yahtzee union recently fought for for more pay, better pay, better working conditions. What's the Yahtzee union? So the Yahtzee, uh, it's I A T S E. It's the international. I'm going to mess this up. International Association of Stage and Theater. Mm, theater and stage TSC, yeah. whatever yeah 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 but so it's people who basically it started out as you know it's it's started stage and theater but it also encompasses filmmakers and and uh crew like mostly mostly below the line type staff mm-hmm. um you know your, your lighting technicians your grips your um wardrobe the unsung heroes catering and yeah all the, like just the, the people that make the, the people that make the fucking thing right and get no credit and low pay and yeah the people who we're talking about when we say i want to thank all the little people yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah so they recently had a big strike which the you know i get into that but (laughs) that's a whole other that's another episode we should do we should do strikes and compensation and stuff in the film industry but anyway every episode we come up with like three new episodes so the show will never die (laughs) and i was never in the union i know people who were in the union but i was never in the union when i worked on on sets um i just i didn't my career didn't take off like that and i didn't Mm -hmm. network right i didn't know people Um, yeah that's really hard i'm bad at that too i'm like just like me and think i do a good job i don't have a million people to give me jobs so right yeah i'm a weirdo so you know (laughs) Yeah, but, but you're each definitely a very particular cups of tea. So anyway, animators are fighting for more, for, for better working conditions. That's very cool. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see what what Dana Terrace does next. Yeah, I kind of wish it was easier to just pitch your animation show. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but like just working on independent projects sounds really cool. I know we we just we just made a joke about this, but there's actually that is actually a light salt episode I've been meaning to write down on our list. Oh yeah, um, is like the the process and how I think there's a lot of revolutionary things going on right now with social media and animated projects in particular that I really want to talk about. So yeah, cool. Well, speaking of making things, I guess maybe we should get into our uh, film adaptation. Topic. Yeah, Perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're so if only I had mentioned DuckTales at the end, then we could have talked about reboots and adaptations. Right? Well, no, I'm yeah. sure it'll come back up because you love DuckTales. So. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that's right. We have we have been missing our opportunities. You can't say DuckTales without going, ooh. Do they keep the ooh in the reboot? Oh, yeah. Well, you never know. Some people make huge mistakes. So no, the, the the theme song's the same and everything. It's just a I think that a new artist came in and they recorded it. It's such a good it. theme song. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um but adaptations. I need to go watch it. Yeah, so adaptations. So as just a high-level overview, not that people don't know what adaptations are. Adaptations are pretty interesting because adaptations for film can be made from so many different sources. And so just as a high-level overview, um One of the most common ones is novels, but they've also been made from video games, comic books, obviously. Mythology, religion, plays, weird stuff like franchises and toys, um, historical events, theme park rides. Yeah, uh, which we can talk about. That's the weirdest one that I think I found. I was trying to find a weirder one. There are some that are just like, oh, you know. An SNL skit got turned into a movie, et cetera, et cetera. No, but not just one. <laughs> several, several SNL several skits. Several SNL skits got turned into movies. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, adaptations, I feel like for me anyway, they're a very, they're like walking on a razor's edge, right? Mm-hmm. And so, especially if, it seems like if your adaptation is of something that's kind of obscure, you're all right. If your adaptation yeah. is of something that's already hugely popular, maybe just don't. I don't know. Because it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's going to go well. Like a yeah. 2% chance of hitting gold and a 98% right. chance of just pissing everybody off. And there's right? no formula. There's no. No, mad, there's, no, there's no right way to do an adaptation. There's just a yeah. lot of wrong ways. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, I think there are things you can avoid and things you should lean into, but it really depends on so many different factors, right? Like the source material, the mood of the source material, the media you're getting it from. And it's interesting. I looked up an article about 31 worst movie adaptations for this show, and I disagree with at least seven of them. Like at least seven Mm. of them are on my good list, for examples. And I'm like, oh, for the exact reasons that they sometimes say or don't say. And I'm like, ah. I also learned a new word while I was uh, researching this episode, and it's elision, which is the deliberate omission of something. So Mm. when you are trying to adapt a novel into a movie, apparently there was some dude back in the 1920s who tried to literally make a novel into a movie with everything in it, and it was nine and a half hours long. (laughs) Yeah. And then it got edited to half that size, and then it got edited again without his like input to two hours and the final result was completely incoherent. So elision, elision is important. Um, So when we're doing adaptations, we have elision, we have, and we have interpolation, right? So you'll see some movies that not only remove things from the source material, but they will create things in order to make that fit better into the film genre or to sometimes speak to a specific audience, right? If there's not, um, so one example was something about, it was like, they added a more important part for the prostitute because women were going to go see the movie. And I was kind of like, wow, that's an interesting choice, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me. It was, I think it was like Helen Mirren or something. But anyway, so film adaptation is a difficult game. <laughs> Um, I know that you and I both definitely have our favorites and our, oh my God, how did this happen? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say your favorite film adaptation is? Maybe we can go by genre. What's your favorite novel turned into a film? My favorite novel turned into a film. Now, how do you, do you think the one that best captured the novel or the one that turned into the best movie? Two different categories. Yeah. So like, you know, if you wanted to ask me like which one turned out to be the best movie. Mm-hmm. Well, that's tough. <laughs> that's real tough. Okay. So like Lord of the Rings is up there, right? For right. both. Because Lord of the Rings is just like, that's a great series. I, I think actually think the movies it. are better than the books. Maybe I'm probably going to get destroyed. Yeah, we're going to get so much hate mail from that. Why would you well, say maybe that? just edit it out. I'm only saying no. that because I haven't finished the books and I've watched all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't finish the books because they were it was it just felt too biblical to me, right? And I've got PTSD mm. from an early religious upbringing. But That's it's fair. like, oh great, so and so begat so and so, and there's all these yeah. hobbitses, and I'm like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> so probably don't read Gene Wolfe then. <laughs> all right, well, good to know. Yeah. Um. But, but I do I do feel like the movie captured the fantastical elements of the books yeah. that I did get through. Like I love The Hobbit as a book, but the series, the the trilogy is ridiculously weird. Doesn't oh, the match Peter the Jackson trilogy is bizarre and yeah. should not have been made that why, way. Why and I was really tra- disappointed. Yeah, I did like the dragon because I thought he was really cool. But sure. like why would you turn this really fun, well-contained story and journey and that was in one book into three long Movies that don't make sense, you know? Yeah. No, it felt like the studio wanted a Lord of the Rings too, <laughs> but that's not what The Hobbit is, right? Like no. The Hobbit's a fun adventure story, and that's kind of mm-hmm. what I wanted. I wanted a fun Same. adventure story with the with the production values and the really cool Peter Jackson style mm-hmm. of Middle Earth. That's what Same. I wanted. Instead, Same. we got someone trying to do Lord of the Rings too, and it just like it fell so flat on its face, it was ridiculous. Yeah. You can't write a new story on top of Tolkien's work. That's just not a thing. He's got enough story going on. Yeah. Well, Amazon's going to try just like they ruined Wheel of Time, but oh, that's a Wheel whole of other time. thing. That's, a, that's <laughs> another advent. Uh, anyway, Lord of the Rings, fantastic adaptation. Other, other really cool movies I think would be like Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. which the author reportedly hated that movie. So like, that's one that's like, it's really good in film. And I've read the book. Yeah. I, I think they're, I kind of look at them both as separate products. Um, it's interesting when that happens, right? When something deviates enough from the source. And I do actually really like that when that does happen. Mm-hmm. 
it's an interesting place to find yourself. I, th- I, I think have it not works read as long as it's like honest about what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, this is yeah, this is this is my yeah. version of the story. And well, that goes into interpretation versus just representation of the original source material, yeah. right? Which is a yeah. whole different direction of adaptation. And it really only works if it doesn't have a rabid fan base that's excited to see their book turn into a show. Yeah. Right? Like if, if, if Clockwork Orange had like Trekkie level obsessive mm-hmm. nerds who loved it mm-hmm. and then the movie came out like now, it would, oh, be, people, a, it would be outrageous. It would be the big internet controversy of the yeah you know all of that kind of speaks to what the motivation for creation is right are Mm -hmm. you creating something because you just want more money because you want to extract more of those resources from your fan base or are you creating something because you're inspired by the source material right and so it's kind of mm, i mean i know a lot of times it's the first one but hopefully, if it is the first one, they're still at least finding someone who fits the second one's criteria, right? Someone who right. is inspired to do it. Because the things that fall flat to me tend to be the ones that just look like money grams, and they don't have a love for the source material, right? They don't have a fondness for um, where it came from, and they don't, or maybe even an understanding, right? Like, they don't get yeah. it. And you can tell because they make something else and they're like, oh, the perfect example of this is the last Airbender movie. Oh, oh my God. goodness. That movie oh is so bad. They changed his name and they like. The, the, right. So if you've seen the last Airbender, the animation from Nickelodeon, our beloved studio that apparently is still around, but not making stuff. It's it's wonderful. Like I've seen it several times. It's got it's so it's so aptly captures like a playfulness, the playfulness of childhood mixed with the very, very real responsibility that Aang, the last airbender has to basically save the entire world, which is a lot to put on like a 10 year old. Um, But there's like this playful energy. And then in the movie, they just make him this weird, serious ass dude. And the whole thing just falls super flat. I don't think anybody mm. liked it. It's just terrible. And like they had such good source material. How good could that movie have been? So good. I don't know. But, Netflix is about to ruin it. So, you know, we'll try it again and do it badly. Just, uh, but no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I already feel like, so Korra, the legend of Korra, the follow-up to the last mm-hmm. airbender. I already feel like it wasn't as good. Yes, yeah. I think dang. I think it definitely has its own place, right? It does. I think if it wasn't a sequel to Avatar, I think mm-hmm. people would would probably have liked it a little better. My problem with it was the love triangle thing. I also just hate the oh, love that was triangle so boring. Yeah, yeah, I'm like this awful. is really boring. I don't really care that two people like this random, completely unamazing dude. Right? It's, it's what happens when two dudes try to white a strong female character, right? I just, this is what the girls like, right? They like yeah. love triangles between like they you like know, hot dudes Mako, or whatever. the strong silent firebender. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I want them to be with each other. That's how I, I ship them, you know. Mm. So anyway, um, so yeah, if you don't love the source material and you don't have that relationship with it, you're just doomed to fail. So yeah. So that was your favorite. You like the Lord of the Rings. I think my favorite. Wait, so we have two categories: one that's just the yeah. best movie, and one that's just the best interpretation of the source of the book. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough because it's, it's all fuzzy. That's part of adaptation. Yeah, it makes it hard, right? Yeah, there's no. I mean, we talked like, about. I, I, it'd be hard for me to even say Lord of the Rings is my favorite. It's just like Lord of the Rings was a really amazing job done. It was adapting yeah. this huge, expansive trilogy into a tight, like I say, tight a tight nine hours. Yeah, because they they could have been much longer. (laughs) And in fact, I guess if you watch the director's editions, yeah. Yeah. Um, I really liked Fight Club. I know we've talked about that before, but I feel like Fight Club made a really good movie from the source material that is very different, but still captures all of the feelings and motivations and mood of the. Like the the, essence of of what the author was trying to say. Right, right? exactly. Like they were on the same wavelength and someone was like, hey, I'm going to make a movie as if you had made a movie instead of writing this book, you know? And reportedly the author loved the movie. Oh, yeah. So that's great. Loves it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I love it when that happens. 
Um, also, another notable mention is Blade Runner. Mm, I've got From, so uh, many mixed feelings of Blade Runner. I like it as a. I like the newest one. The old mm-hmm. and the the newest one kind of tries to salvage the old one's rapiness, which you know, good yeah. for them. <laughs> yeah. um, also, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of mm-hmm. the Lambs is an amazing film, and. I actually have not read the book, so I can't speak to how well it represents the source, but it's just a great movie. So, yeah, and Blade yeah. Runner was Blade Runner is interesting because it's based on um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep" by mm-hmm. Philip K. Dick. Yep, um, and a lot of Philip K., Philip K. Dick is like the author to go to if you're going to adapt a story to the <laughs> screen because his stories are drug fueled messes. They're amazing. <laughs> Like reading his lots of material, reading his st- short stories and his books, it's a trip. I I went through a, a phase where I just I read Philip K. Dick after Philip K. Dick after. Yeah, Philip I love Dick. Philip K. Dick. He's great. Um, and Blade Runner is ve- is like it's a very loose adaptation. Yes, it is very loose. And I don't even know if it really shares the same message. And there's some like I don't know. That's like this is this is mean, and I don't mean to be mean. But I feel like Ridley Scott doesn't get his own films sometimes. <laughs> like he makes uh, this movie what? with this message. And then a couple mm-hmm. years later, he does a director's cut that completely undercuts the message the he was sending message. just because it's like more cool or whatever. Well, you know, this sort of speaks to when when an artist creates something, it's not theirs anymore. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with or artists in particular and as soon as you put something out into the universe, it becomes its own monster, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe Ridley Scott just has these ideas and accidentally has strokes of genius. And then <laughs> is later like, wait, what? What did I do? <laughs> right. I mean, come on. I mean, I know a lot of people who really like Alien, the Alien franchise. But it's like, you're going to tell me that his latest iterations aren't like kind of No, Aliens, like, the, Aliens the sequel is, I think, my husband's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Alien itself also wonderful right Mm -hmm. like genre setting just so good um but yeah it's a good point oh another person whose work gets turned into really good movies is stephen king yes and actually like his are such a mixed bag too they are well as are kind of like stephen stories (laughs) (laughs) truth yeah um so it's interesting, too, that you mentioned short stories. I find short stories to be much easier to adapt into film because oh, yeah. you don't have to remove things. You're just creating things or further interpreting them, which mm-hmm. is half the decision making that has to be done. Right. Yeah. So the Shawshank Redemption was a short story, I believe. Wasn't the Green Mile also a short story? Uh, no. Uh, was the Green I think, Mile but the a green, full book? It was a full. I believe it was a full book that was serialized. Oh, Okay. Like it was, it was published chapter by chapter, and then, then uh, like, um, put together into a book. Yeah, that was on one. That was on one of the lists for worst adaptations because it was too long, and I was like, "Fuck you! This is a great movie. <laughs> get out of here." With caveats. <laughs> With caveats, yes. Um, Which we can get into sometime because Green Mile is a '90s movie. Oh, sweet! Oh my gosh. So. Okay. I have to mentally prepare myself because I will just cry for hours after I watch that movie. This, you know, spoiler alert doesn't end well. So <laughs> kind of, <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, I think my, all right. So those are the ones we like from novels. What do we hate? I what think I ready hate? player one was a terrible adaptation. I, I think Ready Player One was a terrible book. I was just going to say, I just hate the book too. So maybe in that sense, it's a great adaptation of something I also don't like. Yeah, like th- there needs to be a category for adaptations of of, of terrible adaptations of terrible things. <laughs> well, and the worst part is that everyone really likes it, and I don't. So I um, I read Ready Player One because I worked in I. VR, right? I read Ready Player One just by accident because I stumbled across it. So. So media, the media industry, just like all other corporate bullshit, has their own like corpo speak baloney trends of the day. You know, if you're not saying the hot word, then you're clearly not on it. Right. 
Um, and this isn't so much from artists as it is from like management and C-level people who are like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for a long time, I worked, I worked in VR. So a lot of time, lo- for a long time, it was like haptics or, or some bullshit like that. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, but it, does it have haptic? Does it got the haptics? The haptic I don't even feedbacks? know what that means. Is that the, like the, the buttons feedback f- or something? No, it's a fucking vibrator. Right. So like haptic, like, does the, does the fucking controller rumble? Are you wearing mm-hmm. a vest that like rumbles, rumbles when you get shot at or something? Like that's what it, it it's fucking it's bullshit, right? It's a fucking rumble pack. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's cool and it's and you need it. Like it really does help sell experiences and stuff. I'm not trying to say haptics aren't a worthy goal, but the, it was like this like industry buzzword for a long time. Like a meme worthy amount it. of attention yeah. for our no reason. And I don't I no longer work in the industry, but I would be fucking amazed if if like some of my old offices or other offices weren't a buzz about the metaverse right now. <laughs> like, give me a fucking break. Okay. I've played VR chat. It ain't that cool. VR chat. There are chat? people who love it. You just get oh, on and you chat with people, but in VR? Yeah, basically. I uh, mean, Second Life like, was a thing. Yeah, it's like Second Life or or any of those other type of like kind of social games where people get together and there were some like mini games and stuff but like you have your own avatar and you can be a fucking 10 foot tall tree if you want i don't know Mm -hmm. um so like any other industry like vr had its own share of like bullshit buzzwords and terms and things you had to throw around in for a while especially at the beginning you know when the headsets were first coming out you know the the big thing was fucking ready player one if you worked in VR, you had to read that fucking book. Oh, yeah? And instead, I, it was a fucking circle jerk of 80s nostalgia. Yeah, it was. Right? It was like, if you are a now 40-year-old white dude, you'll love this book. Get these yeah. 80s references. La, la, la. Yeah. And I'm I'm not going to lie. The I read the book. Mm-hmm. It was a page turner. The structure of it was solid. I mean, yeah, it was written it was by like, a screenwriter. So that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um. And but the the thing that was really most impressive about it is like the sheer number of eighties references yeah. per paragraph. Density of eighties references. I was just impressed. <laughs> I was just like, damn, dude. Yeah. That's impressive. You filled a whole book with nothing but references. And it, you know, it's fine, but it's 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 a dumb, stupid book that really wasn't like, you know, I forgot about it the next day. I put the book yep. down and it it was not impactful. It didn't change my life. Mm-hmm. It was a fun little book. Made a stupid movie. <laughs> yeah. And the movie, I think the movie took away one of the, they diminished the character that I thought was the most interesting, which was the girl that he meets, the black yeah. girl. Yeah. Yeah. Like, which Great. we can't say their name because that's like a big spoiler. Because it's supposed right. to be like a surprise. Like, oh, this person who, you know, it's all internet stuff. So it's mm-hmm, like, oh, surprise. Mm-hmm. They're, they, you thought they were this way. They're actually this way. Huh? Yeah. And there was a lot of, there were a lot of opportunities to do something more interesting with that story and the technology and everything. And this is what you decide to do. All right. Well, to each their own, I guess. Blech. Yeah. There's a, well, this is probably the danger of like being so reference heavy and so, de- so dependent on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. As we like, as we cover this '90s stuff, is we're it's finding so that. isolating, right? Like, it's, what if you were not a rich white person in the '80s? You know, yes, you, exactly. Or what if you weren't a middle class white boy in mm-hmm. the '80s, enjoying all this media, right? You know, and all these references. <laughs> Just you know, talk to another person and bring in any other references. But I mean, I guess that's the whole thing, right? Like the the person who makes this whole Ready Player One, whatever inside inside the universe, is a dude who lived in the 80s right and that's the whole thing but yeah yeah and for whatever reason our main character is obsessed with the 80s because our author is obsessed with the 80s yeah and so of course our our main character is a um not a mary sue what's the other one gary stew gary stew (laughs) yeah Yeah. so a stand-in for stand-in for the author and our protagonist just happens to be obsessed with the 80s for no reason Mm -hmm. yeah hmm and it's funny. So I actually had the audiobook. I listened to the audiobook of this, but the audiobook of this is narrated by Will Wheaton, who I really don't like. And so um, Yeah, it was a whole thing. And I think the only reason I don't like Will Wheaton is because of the character he plays in Star Trek Enterprise. 
because he's such a Gary Stu in that show, and he's the mm. he's the asshole genius teenager rebellion dude, oh, and he saves mean, the uh, inter- the next generation. Oh yes, yeah, sorry, next generation. Yeah. I said yeah. on the I, I said on in the Star Enterprise. Trek Enterprise, so, but I meant on yeah. the Enterprise, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the ship itself. Yeah, because yeah. he plays um, Wesley Crusher, and he mm. magically saves the ship so many times, even though he's thirteen, and I just yeah. hate it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to say a whole lot about Will Wheaton because I, I don't. I don't know. I'm his sure he's deal. a great person. You know, probably he's done a lot of like interesting internet stuff. He was like one of the main guys with like Geek and Sundry and all that. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like he does stuff. He just like it's just not my vibe. Yeah, he's not my vibe. That and that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly why I don't like him. It's because of Wesley Crusher. I can't get past it. Mm. I like feel. I feel like a man. That's got to be rough. Rage. Can you imagine having to like you're 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 a young actor making your career, mm-hmm. and you get you get on a show that's like a really big show, and it's about a topic that like you nerd out about, uh, nerd out about all the time, mm-hmm. and the fans fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah, that does suck. That's that also suck. not my fault. <laughs> I have nothing but sympathy for you, and also Wesley Crusher was a stupid character. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, Ready Player One, bad movie from a bad book. Mm. That's another terrible adaptation that we hate. I only wrote like ones that I liked. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot that I don't like because that's just where my brain goes. I'm kind of a toxic asshole. I mean, um, I don't like Harry Potter anymore because J.K. Rowling is a turf. But even when the movies came out, I refused to see them past the first one because i was so upset about the first one so no really i didn't i didn't mind it i thought it was you know it was a movie it was chris columbus right <laughs> yeah who we, we we are familiar with from uh mrs doubtfire yeah um looking back i think it was just because i was very much a pseudo intellectual snob now i'm a full-blown intellectual snob but back then i uh was like oh the books are better and now mm. I have a much more nuanced uh, approach and appreciation for it. And now sure. I can't go back and enjoy them because Harry Potter is dead to me. So, yeah, I've been I've been really disliking a lot of modern, like current. I should say current adaptations of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I like I met I alluded to earlier as I was I was really upset with the Wheel of Time adaptation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just can't like I, I had the chance to be the next Game of Thrones, and instead it's like some a high budget cheesy WB show. You know, mm. that's what it feels like. And it, because it was made by a guy who like this is what happens when you give a the guy who like is famous for being on Survivor a TV show. What you know? He was yeah, on he, Survivor. He, yeah, he was a contestant in, a, in one of the seasons of Survivor. He leveraged that into a career in the entertainment industry, and he he's. His biggest show prior to Wheel of Time was he, uh, I think he was a showrunner on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was okay. another cheesy sci-fi show I just didn't care for. Yeah, that sounds like a huge mistake, because Wheel of Time is so much material. And yeah. I it's say this as a person who hasn't read it because it's so much material. I'm like, oh, once I get in, you'll never see me again. Yeah, and it's one of those things is like... I don't know. I've seen the showrunner has been pretty active on social media and it seems like he's very keen on blaming everybody else for why it kind of sucks. And I think that's just like, dude, it's your show. If if you didn't get the resources you thought you needed to make the show right, maybe you shouldn't have done it. Yeah. If you, you know, but that's, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but then nothing would get made. It's like, well, fucking maybe respect your source material, make something else. Make something new. Yeah, make something new, Matt. We can't do that. We are. We certainly we can't are, spend ten million dollars an episode on that. We'd rather no. spend ten million dollars an episode on something that's gonna suck. Yeah, we are a wash and reboots and adaptations. People don't make new things. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard though, because again, like we said earlier, there's no rule for like how close should should an adaptation be to the material. I'm upset with Wheel of Time for not being very close to the source material, or at least not. Mm-hmm. To my to my interpretation, understanding the source material, which is that's subjective and arguable. Um, and then there's another show like called like Cowboy Bebop, Netflix's Cowboy mm-hmm. Bebop, which I dislike for the opposite reason. I dislike it because it's, it's not different close? enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, yeah. Wait, it's true. The, I think this part of the problem is that with Cowboy Bebop, it's you're going from animation, which is a mm-hmm. visual medium, 
to, to an, another um, visual medium. To another visual medium. It's like, well, what's the point of that? Like, right. why do I need to see a person play this character? Yeah. The animation what are you gonna plays get the character better? just fine. The voice actor right. did an amazing job. Why the fuck right. am I watching this other guy do it? That's my question about all of the weird Disney reboots that I haven't seen yet either, right? Where they're like, you know what? We need a live action Lion King. Absolutely not. We do not. <laughs> the original animated Lion King is perfect. Don't touch it. Move no, on. That, no, leave yeah. it alone. No, that's just a cash grab. Yeah. That's and it's dumb grab. and I hate it. <laughs> they can they can make it cheaper than a new animated film and they can try to market it to the to a new generation of kids yeah. who don't watch a lot of 2D animation. Well, that's a shame because 2D yeah, animation that's kinda mainly what is awesome. It's, it's just a cheap. I know grab. why they do it, but I think yeah. it's dumb. I think we should I think we should just keep rewatching The Lion King. <laughs> yeah. I just I just don't I just ignore them. You know, they yeah. they come out and I'm like, okay, that's just not that's not for me. Same, yeah. It. I haven't seen I haven't seen a single one of them. Not even the Beauty and the Beast one, even though I loved Emma Thompson and the Beauty and the Beast, because I think I think Belle's my favorite princess. Mm. So. Probably because she likes to read a lot and she's a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um so okay, so that's novels. We kind of segued into animation and we talked about it. My two yeah. ones on my list to talk about were Cowboy Bebop and The Last Airbender. So that's yeah. good. Animation to live action is hard. I don't think I've yeah. ever seen it done well. And also, why though? Why? Right. Like, why not like, just do more? Why not fund animation. another animation series? Or why not fund yeah, another? Like, like, why not an animated movie of Avatar: <laughs> The Last Airbender? That would be fucking cool. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. What? What? Are, I guess what my question is: What are they trying to get out of it? That's not just money. Obviously, we are we are pretending we live in a universe where mm. everything is just an artistic pursuit. What are you yeah. trying to get from making this into? A live action movie because a live action movie is kind of bound by the laws of reality, whereas an animation is ridiculous and fun, and it's really hard to pull that in. Well, like I alluded to earlier, live action is cheaper by like yes. a lot. And by doing a live action movie, they get a brand refresh, mm. they get buzz, they get they get all the things that come with making new content without actually having to invest. Yeah, but a we lot. said we lived in a universe where money doesn't matter. So, but that's, I mean, that's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the answer is nothing, I guess, right? Yeah. Like, there's nothing that you can get out of a live action movie that animation can't do. Like uh, if, am I if, arguing for the it, dismantling of, of live action movies? Yes, I think I might be. Yeah. I mean, because if you look at like even some of the, like, like if you look at any animated film, like 2D animated film from like the nineties and compare it, the budget to like, or even contemporary with Lord of the Rings, look at Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. budget. It was like fellowship. The ring was like a hundred something million for three hours. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was a big budget at the time. Now we have movies that are like crazy way beyond that. Um, but at the time that was a huge budget for a little fantasy film that no one's going to watch, but that, that <laughs> budget a hundred something million for a movie, like animated movies hit that. Like that. Really? No time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if Why? you look at uh, fucking. Like, what is the what? reasoning for that? I, I mean, I, I believe you. I just don't have yeah. a good understanding of where the money goes. A lot. There's a lot of technical and artistic talent, like very expensive technical and artistic talent that goes into animated films. And mm -hmm. so there's technology costs. There's human costs like the, just the sheer number of people you have to hire mm. is greater i mean nowadays a live action film is a vfx extravaganza it's practically an animated film already but mm -hmm. when you're talking about cgi it is a little cheaper as the technology gets better and they outsource a lot of stuff um but when you're talking we, about like we should do a follow-up light salt about the relative costs of different productions because i would really like to learn more about this i'm very curious about it yeah, I was animated very films curious regularly about, blow live action films out of the water with the, with the budgets. Yeah, I was always really sort of passively curious about why we have so much less 2D animation coming from major places, right? Like Disney yeah. doesn't put out a lot of actual 2D animation anymore. No, no. Right? I think the and last major the, one was uh, Princess and the Frog. Mm -hmm, I think it was. And that was, that was a huge flop for them. Yeah, well... They were not. I actually really like Princess and the Frog. I thought it was really good. I think it has some yeah, of the scariest bad guys ever. 
There was, it was the last good Disney villain, I think. They, they've kind of, Disney itself has kind of stepped away from villains, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Also, they, they have fallen prey to the whole, we'll have a black character in this, but she's not going to actually be a human for most of it, much like they did with Soul, which is a whole other conversation as well, right? Like, look at mm. this black main character. Just kidding. He's going to be blue most of the movie. Moving on. We'll talk about right. that a different time. Um, but yeah, so I... I've always been a person who's been in love with animation, like the Miyazaki movies. And I, I just, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, this is not supposed to be a podcast about animation. It's supposed to be an adaptation. It kind of turned into that. (laughs) It did. I'm okay with this. Whatever. Yeah. This, Um, this episode's a little rambly. That's, that's okay. It's okay. That's our, that's our stick. We're rambly. So yeah, I can't think of a good animation turned into a movie either. If anyone can, please go to our website and comment on it. Cause I would really like to watch it. So Yeah. I mean, the closest that we come to would be comic books. And we talked about this in a previous mm-hmm. episode, which is Watchmen. Watchmen is very yeah. true to the source material with the with one exception, exception. Yeah. which was the ending. Oh, that wasn't where I was going with that, actually. So oh, you go and well, then I'll actually take my exception. Okay. So they changed the ending in Watchmen, the movie. Um, it's interesting because they put, that's one of the reasons they put it on the worst movie adaptations list, because apparently this person who made this list really wanted to see the giant space squid. And I'm like, you were missing the entire point of this movie and or graphic novel because the squid was not the point. The point was that someone's doing something horrible under the guise of bringing the world together and uniting them yeah. against a common enemy. So yeah, the common and, enemy in and the graphic novel means kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. The common enemy in the novel, the graphic novel was a, a artificially created giant space squid, something or other alien race. That's supposed to be an alien, but was actually just created by someone on earth. And in the movie, it was Dr. Manhattan was set up to be the bad guy. So what was your exception? So, right. So that they, they changed the ending. And I think that, still worked and it was more true to the spirit of what the comic book was. Yeah, absolutely. But, it would have been confusing to you know, do the other one. But I think the main exception from the, about that adaptation that is very different is, and this is kind of a big one, is that I don't think that Zack Snyder can keep his politics out of his movies. Mm. And he's got some really kind of He's got some beliefs that I think need some examining, and I do not agree with them. And I think they're kind of fucked up. Yeah, Zack Snyder, check your shit. Yeah, I think, and I think the main kind of like the the the, the biggest easiest example of this is the way he turned Rorschach into like a hero in the movie, mm. like where everyone kind of loves Rorschach. They look up to him. And of course, Rorschach was he's casted. A, he's not a good guy. Yeah, he's in the in the graphic novel. He is not a good person. He's not someone you should emulate or look. He's up an to. anti-hero, but he's you know he's kind of a monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's he's he represents and like you know Alan Moore is not a conservative fucking nut job. Yeah, you know a lot of his stories are about not being that <laughs> right. Watching out for those people who are just like wait, like he's too strict. That's like that's Rorschach. He's 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 black and white, and nothing right. is black and white. And that's the whole point. And he's point. supposed to be not the thing you go to, and that's why he's included in the story. Yeah, but then in the in the movie, Rorschach's kind of the hero. Mm-hmm. He, like he's the guy who knows what's going on. Yeah. You know, I see. I he's, could see that. You know what? That's yeah. a really good. That's a really good point that I don't think I'd ever actually like thought about. Mm-hmm. It, um, it just reads as a little fashy. That's yeah, it, it does. I mean, it's, a, he's it's a, an entertaining he, movie, though. Yeah, Rorschach is such a violent character, and he, you're right, he's 100% black and white. And it's interesting because I feel like this happens in film a lot when you when you put something out to a wider audience. It's the same kind of thing that happened like with the Joker, right? Where you get a subset of people, especially with our current political climate, you get a subset of people that are rooting for the wrong guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or taking the wrong thing away from things. Because right. they're like, oh, this guy's the best. He, uh, I don't know, puts an axe in dogs' heads and is generally yeah. just a huge fucking asshole. Yeah. So. Just, I mean, the one line was really badass. And it is in the comics, too, where it's like, I'm not in here with you. You're in here with me. Yeah. That was funny. And that was delivered excellently. That actor. Ugh. He, I want to see It was very well stuff. done. Yeah. yeah. 
But you're right. He. It was not made clear, I guess, in some sense, especially if you're doing a film. I'm going to figure out a way to articulate this. that doesn't sound horrible. I think that in books and things like that, where you pick something up and you can put it down at any time and you are consuming it by yourself, you are the onus of interpretation and understanding of the artwork is on you to sort of think through and everything is more of a question, right? Mm-hmm. So you're presented with these ideas. You have to think about them and question them and come to your own conclusions. Whereas film, especially film created for mass consumption, I think that the audience is used to being told what to think and told what to feel. So if you don't very explicitly make sure that, you know, Oh, Rorschach is the bad guy by doing something to indicate that Mm -hmm. he was wrong. I think you're right. I think people will come away with something like, Oh, obviously he's so cool. Look at him with his cool changing mask thing and whatever. Yeah. Which is funny because the whole point of the Rorschach test is that it's open to interpretation, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, Oh man. That should be a whole light salt. We should do a light salt about like weird problematic characters that become like hero worship. Wait, by like, be, yeah, yeah. Like, fucking, like Wolf of Wall Street. And Rorschach yes. And, like all those fucking people Joker the is bad the guys. fucking worst. Like the people who mm-hmm. idolize the Joker Harley relationship is like yep. really cringy and just awful. I really liked Birds of Prey for that reason. I really like mm-hmm. that. She's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to be my own person, but we can have a whole show about that. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite psychology jokes is, uh, Who's this Rorschach guy and why does he always draw pictures of my parents fighting? (laughs) (laughs) Gets me every time. (laughs) That's good. So one thing we haven't, we did kind of brush on it with, we're running low on time, but I want to mention this because we, this is really important. We're talking about adaptations Mm -hmm. and one of the biggest, like, you know, evolutions of adaptations. And we brushed on a little bit just now is comic book to movie. Like that's kind Mm -hmm. of a relative, it's, it's commercial success. Is yes. a recent development, right? Every um, superhero movie ever. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you could start, you could say, you could say it started with Blade, but I think it really didn't start taking off until X Men, and then it didn't skyrocket until S- Raimi's Spider Man. What about Batman? Oh, man, Batman's kind of its own thing, right? But he is right. a thing. He is a thing, and but but Batman didn't kick off a slew of comic book movies, right? That's Neither true. Batman Superman. was kind of his own so, franchise for decades, yeah. right? And he also had a TV show a long time ago. So he had a he had an, a presence. He did start as a comic, but he had yeah. like that cheesy uh that cheesy TV show way back when. Yeah. So but like Batman's kind of its own thing. It didn't it didn't kick off a slew of things the way the Marvel print the Marvel properties like yeah, kicked off like a wave of just mm-hmm. comic book movie after comic book movie. And then DC comes in and it's like, yeah, we've got Batman and Superman, but what if we did all these ca- heroes that nobody cares about? You know? <laughs> Um, DC's like me too, please. Yeah, I want some of. The, I want money. Can yeah, I have money. some of the comic book money? Money, but <laughs> just uh, so comic. Yeah, so and the thing about comic book adaptations is they're not super true to the no, source not material, at all. but they are. Tr- In fact, they're kind of true. They're to so the not true. Yeah, they're so not true that they have split off into two different things. Right? Like we have yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because we know it's not matching the comic books, which, I mean, when you have these characters that you recycle over and over and over again, like comic books do, it's impossible to stay true to them because they exist in 17 million different ways. Yeah. And it kind of works in the movie's favor because then the movie is just another iteration of the mythos. Mm -hmm. And they can kind of pick what they like and what worked. Yeah. Just like when Marvel's does reboots their whole universe with the Ultimates or they come out with a new thing or, you know, Mm -hmm. this is just another iteration. I think that really works. Yeah, because uh, people expect it. People that consume those comic books are already well trained at knowing that something different can happen with any new iteration of a hero. And it's nice um, that they take inspiration from the comics. They're not. They're not. That, that's part of the reason why the the new movies are so successful when previous attempts at comic book movies were not. Is that they mm-hmm. they draw inspiration from the source material, and they take those stories and they twist them a little bit to make them fit the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, like for like the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity mm-hmm. War. And all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. Um, they didn't try to come up with brand new stories the way they did in some of the earlier, like, and some of the earlier like Fantastic Four attempts. Oh yeah, it was terrible. Shit, you know. Also, I think that that 
it's worth saying that they make good movies, right? Even if you didn't know anything about these characters, you can go see the movie and it's still good. Right. Versus right. Simple, something where you rely on people already knowing the source material. I mean, they put enough in there that you still get, you know, little nostalgia peaks from seeing different things about your characters that you like. But coming into a film, if you've never read the comic, you're still fine, right? Yeah. And, and the way they, the time. way Marvel has adapted their stuff, I don't think works with a lot of other mediums. Like I think, like Wheel of Time is a good example of that just not fucking working. Yeah. Um, oh, and then of course there's like Apple's doing the Foundation. Series. I have seen trailers for it because I've been watching a lot of Apple TV shows, and uh-huh. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I don't. I, feel like I don't it's have Apple bad. TV. I feel, I feel like Foundation is a uniquely terrible property to try to adapt. Yeah, it's I hard don't to even... know what inspired them to do that. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, there's so many different sci-fi franchises you could have gone to. I would watch the hell out of an Aliens TV show. Right. I mean, so. that could work as a TV show. Right? Aliens? Yeah, absolutely. There's enough mythos there. You could totally... Mm-hmm. You could do a whole series about, like, you know, some other ship that's stranded out in the middle of space mm-hmm, and fighting mm-hmm. monsters and... Uh, uncovering huge truths. In fact, a lot of really Scott's latest stuff with the aliens franchise would probably work better as a series. Yeah, it probably would. <laughs> um, but, um, but looking at foundation, I'm like foundation is, that's a huge sprawling story. In a and it's giant... such an ancient, like it's such an old sci-fi. I mean, it's one of mm-hmm. Asimov's kind of like earliest stuff, right? Like it's yeah, not, it's, it's uh, the foundation <laughs> of Asimov. Would you say? Yeah. <laughs> And it, it covers it covers spans of thousands of years. It's really more of like a, a, a like a, a like a mind experiment, right? Of how of how a future a- civilization would look mm-hmm. instead of an actual narrative. Yeah, and it's weird. Like, so they turned iRobot supposedly kind of into a movie. Well, it, yeah. it is nothing like iRobot, yeah. right? It's it's. I wouldn't even say it's loosely adapted. I would say no, they were just like, oh, iRobot is the name of a book. Let's name a movie after it. Right. And we got robots. <laughs> uh, and there are robots in it. And there are the laws of robotics. And that's about it. Um, yeah. Some some artists or authors just do not lend themselves well to to film. I know that people have tried to make Kurt Vonnegut stuff into movies. And that hasn't always gone well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as we are running out of time, let's just hit some highlights about really weird um, adaptations. Like, okay, video yeah. games being turned into movies, super weird. Like, we've got Resident Evil, Detective Pikachu, mm-hmm. the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is absurd, although I do like we the We will dinosaur. cover that on this show. We have to. I got the yeah. DVD. Nintendo oh, you got cannot. It? I got it. Nintendo can't bury this one. We're going to talk <laughs> about it. Okay, because Nintendo's gonna try, Nintendo's gonna try to bury it before their new Super Mario animated film comes out with Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah, no, Chris Pratt's gonna play Mario. The internet's oh, ha- the oh internet yeah, I remember it. the internet's all like um, ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. um yeah okay so there's actually a quote from oh, what's his name the guy who made Mario Miyamoto. I'm going to paraphrase because this quote's very long, but he essentially said it's really difficult to translate games into movies because the structure of what makes a game good is very different from what makes a movie good because movies are passive and games are active. And I think that's a really good observation. Um, So yeah, a lot of those video games movies don't work well. The one I do like though is Silent Hill. I really enjoyed Silent Hill. Mm, I think people who love the game probably hated that movie. Probably. Although I went to see it with my husband and he had, played the games and he was excited to see pyramid head and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, detective Pikachu. I haven't seen it. It just looks weird. And so I haven't seen it. It's like one of those things where like, I, you know, honestly, I think detective Pikachu, I haven't seen it. I saw the trailer. So I was like, Oh, that has potential, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, it, it feels, if people if liked they, it, it was successful. Yeah. It feels like a, it felt like it felt like the trailer was kind of taking the piss out of the Pokemon <laughs> franchise. It did. It really did. I think that would really work as a movie. Cause like, there's a lot like, Especially if you love Pokemon, because like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stupid shit in Pokemon. Yeah, there is. And it's totally cool to point that out and make fun of it and mm-hmm. still love Pokemon. Pokemon is the franchise that will not die. It is just yeah. it has yeah. been going on for so long. Started as a stupid little Game Boy game. I know. What was the last Pokemon game you played? Uh, honestly, I haven't played. I haven't played one since Yellow. I think yellow, I think gold was my last actual legit yeah. Pokemon game. Although I did immediately buy Pokemon Snap when it came out because I loved Pokemon Snap. Oh, and yeah. now it's did out. Snap come out after it, that? 
after yellow because i did play snap and i did play you know the the n64 pokemon smash brawl whatever yeah it was n64 i think it came out after yellow but i'm talking about the recent uh the recent pokemon snap oh i haven't played the new one no yeah uh, it's beautiful and there's the thing it feels more magical to me since i'm out of the pokemon universe and they've apparently discovered four million new pokemon because i'm still like a a billion 150 or bust that's me (laughs) but now there's like hundreds and hundreds yeah for me there's 151 gotta have your mewtwo you gotta have mew but um uh, yeah, I mean, I remember that I got the Switch the first time and I played it. I was like, you know, this would be a good platform for a new Snap game. Too bad they'll yeah, never do well, that. I said the same thing. <laughs> I've been saying for years and years, I would pay such good money if they redid Pokemon Snap. It's like a first person shooter, but without the violence. Like, that's what yeah. I want. I just want to wander around and I don't want to kill anything. You know, it's an arcade adventure shooter. Mm-hmm. But with Pokemon that you take pictures of. Sometimes they're holding balloons. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. And then we have things like franchises and toys, which make no sense. Oh, the clue movie is wonderful, right? I love the mm-hmm. original clue movie. So good. But then Classic. we also have like the Lego movies who went crazy, right? Like yeah. Yeah. they were big. They were really big. GI Joe yeah. transformers, that entire franchise. It's like, okay, you can make a movie out of anything. Yeah. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, transformers was a show designed to sell toys. Like, yeah. from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. And um, then they're like, aha, movies too. Yeah. But and the original Transformers movie, 88, that, uh, I love that movie. I don't That's think I've favorite. seen it. That's like one of my favorite. You haven't? Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> it's an amazing movie. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, the structure is stupid. Okay. It's a poorly written film. Okay. I love it. Okay. I love it so much. I'm here the, for this. The soundtrack makes the movie. Yeah. Because the soundtrack is what a little kid thinks hard rock metal sounds like. Oh my gosh, I love it already. So it's not, you know, it's full of songs that like a little kid thinks is like, yeah, metal. But like, (laughs) it's shit like Weird Al. And like, Uh, Weird Al, Dare to be Stupid is in the movie, the movie official soundtrack. I remember when I thought Weird Al was cool. (laughs) Um, And then, but like the, just go listen to the soundtrack because the, the guy who did the soundtrack like it's shit. It's just awesome. It's just like fucking rock and guitars, like mm-hmm. overdriven, just like to craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, just oh, so good. That sounds awesome. Like if they redid it today, I'd want that guy to come back and like maybe bring in Steve Vai <laughs> to do the guitars. I that don't know would who be Steve amazing. Vai is. Uh, Steve Vai is an amazing guitarist who just does really just cool. Like I can't. It's hard to explain him without just you know googling him, looking him up. He's just cool. Music. All right. Yeah, he's just cool. He did. <laughs> Uh, I think he did one of the, I think it was Halo 3. Mm. He did, he did a cover of the Halo theme. We should actually do an episode about soundtracks and movie scores. That would be really interesting. That would be good. Because talking about making people feel things, right? Films Mm. use music and sound, and that is a distinctly unique aspect of things. Like books don't have soundtracks, right? And so we can make you feel a specific way. That was one of my problems with True Lies. The soundtrack does not match at all what is going on. Right. Mm. And so it makes you think, oh, this is so sweet. And it's not. Um, But yeah, don't worry. But weirdest or more adaptations. Yes. Good. Oh, I was going to I was just going to jump to the weirdest adaptation. What do you think is the weirdest? Pirates of the Caribbean. I was just going to say that, too. Yeah. Based off of a Disney World ride, right? A theme park ride. A fucking a fucking it'd it'd be like if if they decide to make a movie about it's a small world because that's the kind of ride Pirates is. (laughs) Yeah. Or was. I mean, now they've, they've added a Jack Sparrow animatronic to it. But it's like you're in a boat, you go through some tunnels, there's animatronics, and there's a story. That's it's like, like it's a small world. It's fucking, it's a small world, the movie. Yeah. And that's fucking weird. It's so weird. And it's a great movie. It's <laughs> such a good movie. <laughs> it is. Like, it it should not have worked. It shouldn't have worked. <laughs> well, there's not a lot to argue against, right? Like, you can just be like, okay, you got pirates, go. Yep. You know, yep. so, pirates and like ghost pirates. Yeah, and ghost pirates. You got a lot to work with. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> there are pirates. They are in the Caribbean now. Go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's a million more. One of the groups we didn't get to to talk about for me anyway were Shakespeare and historical events. 
Oh, um, okay. Because there's a lot of historical events that have been adapted into movies. You know, the whole, ah, yeah. true. One of my favorite Shakespeare adaptations is actually 10 Things I Hate About You. Because it's oh. adapted from Taming the Shrew. Taming yeah. of the Shrew. Yeah, so. But yeah, there's a lot of times that plays get turned into movies. The producers got turned into a movie, obviously. Hairspray, Rent, Les Mis, which is a book and a play and a movie. Romeo and Juliet, obviously, has been adapted four million times. You got to have that that horrible uh, tragedy. Yes. Okay. Can I just say I really, I I really like the DiCaprio. I was going to say the same thing. I love that movie. I think Did it's such think? an interesting interpretation where uh-huh. they keep all of the words, but the right. the scenery and the action. Oh, it's so good. I'm so glad I'm you not, like it too. I'm not going to lie. I don't really care about the movie. I love the scene where Mercutio is like picking DiCaprio out of the like the ocean or whatever, and he's like mm-hmm. he's got a gun on him. Uh-huh. And, and Rob is like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Fishing." <laughs> I just I fucking love it. I can't not. It's amazing. It's so good. It's it so just, good. <laughs> it's so dumb. I think it, yeah, it was just such a fresh take on something that is so tired, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Also, that was back when I loved Leonardo DiCaprio. Back when he was hey. the age of the people he dated, which is no longer true. Yeah. He's still so. a really good actor. Oh, he is. Absolutely. Know, I, as a person, who knows? But as an actor, Honestly, he's, if he's he wants good. to date younger women, that's fine. I just have questions. Right. Lots of questions. Like, I won't tell people who they're allowed to love. But there does seem to be a pattern of behavior there that needs a little bit of um, introspection. Good old Leo. If you're listening to our podcast, which is very unlikely. Yeah. Maybe maybe look inside yourself and see what it is about 25-year-old women you really like. Oh, I, I have a few ideas. <laughs> Actually, it's not 25. 25 is the expiration date. I'm sorry. 21-year-old women. Yeah. So. That's not what this podcast is about, though. Not this episode. And I'm not qualified to say. <laughs> I don't know if we're qualified to say anything about yeah. the things we talk about. So I say we should just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I could argue, like arg- arguably successfully, that I'm qualified to talk about media at least a little bit. Oh, that's true. Well, that leaves me. I, I mean, I can talk about CSI because my degrees in forensics. <laughs> I can talk about how much that sucks. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like that's good. A good discussion. I feel like we're kind of out of time. So yeah, we're way out of time. Shh. <laughs> won't notice. <laughs> Right. They're just going to, the, the, they'll be listening in like an hour later. Like, Why is this still going? I thought it was a light salt. so long. Yeah. I kind of think we should make our light salts an hour. I think that's, I think that's good. One of my yeah. friends. I think we should aim for 45 minutes and then at an hour <laughs> we cut ourselves off. Yeah. One of my friends listened to the MPA re- uh, episode and was like, oh, yeah. you guys should have talked longer about it. And I was like, you don't understand. We will talk forever. <laughs> yeah. It, it'll get boring pretty quick. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. That's why Matt's editing skills are so important. But anyway, all right. Um, thank you guys for joining us on another another wonderful week of Medium Salt. You can find us at mediumsalt.com. Please go and follow our podcast. Give us a comment. Send us an email. We love interacting with people. We want to hear what you think. And uh, tune in next week. Yeah. And also, you can always check out our Discord. There should be a link on the website. And we've got oh, yeah. you know, some wonderful people. We like to talk about films and you know, maybe rib each other a little bit, especially <laughs> ribbing me and Kate. Yeah. Well, maybe just fun. maybe just rib Matt. Yeah, that's fine. I can take it. <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you guys so much. And you are super important to us. And as always, stay salty.